Welcome to Season 3 of Should We? A conversation with friends about the everyday choices that make us. Brought to you by MailChimp. This episode is a conversation with Louisa Beck, a talented radio producer and journalist. Like Diana and me, she's lived in California and Germany, and you'll get to hear a lot more about that as you eavesdrop on our conversation. So, Luisa, I would like to ask you, why are you in Germany? I mean, I kind of know, I kind of have a sense, and and we've talked before you went about your plans to go to Germany. But I'm especially curious, like right now, how do you feel about your decision to go? Why Why did you go and why are you still there right now? Well, funny that you asked because I've been feeling homesick, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been I've been feeling really homesick. I think it's it's a it's a combination of it's like negative 10 degrees right now in Berlin. So really cold. Is that really like actually negative 10? It's like, it was, I think it, yesterday it was negative 10 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Okay. It was really cold. And then, and then, yeah, I think I've also just like seeing what's happening abroad in, in the media and, and feeling like I'm not there to, to cover some of the atrocious things that are happening and then like missing friends. And yeah, so I've been feeling homesick, but I also have a good reason for being here, at least what I think is a good reason. There is a, there's kind of like a personal reason because I wanted to spend time with my family here, my grandma and my sister and my little nephew and my, um, my brothers. And I also wanted to be a reporter and do reporting and pitch stories. And I was really interested in the refugee crisis here well, now it's not, it's not really a crisis anymore. It's, it's more of just a lot of, a lot of refugees are coming to Germany and I wanted to cover that. Just draw parallels to what's going on in the U.S. with immigration. Yeah. And I remember we had dinner with you or a snack or something at Samovar, probably in October, the end of September. Mm-hmm. And you were, you were getting ready to go and you were gonna, you were going to cover the refugee crisis and I think that at that moment, I felt so not, I I wasn't paying attention to politics at all. And Diana and I were just talking with you about should we and our plans and the the stories we wanted to tell. And to me, it felt like you were going somewhere else in the world to... Uh, report on a crisis, like something that was kind of a much bigger deal than like the everyday stories and conversations we wanted to have. Like, not that everyday things aren't important, but I felt like really happy that we had all these like light and everyday things that we were going to talk about and like also a little guilty, like, hmm, we should pay attention to these really, really terrible things that are happening elsewhere. 
and then you left, and then the election happened, and all of a sudden, I'm paying attention to politics and government every single day, and I feel that there's a huge crisis here. And you're, you're saying, you know, the crisis you came to cover isn't really a crisis anymore. It's, it's just an ongoing story. And actually, it has a lot of parallels to what's happening here in the U.S. So mm. my, I think my perspective has shifted a lot, too. Wow, that's so interesting to hear. Yeah. I mean, what it means to pay attention to politics and when you're called upon to do it, right? I mean, I think for me, it also had in some way, like personal reasons, because I do have this connection to Germany. And, and so, you know, even, even things that are a crisis here or that are a big deal here for me personally are, I, I get sucked into. Um, in the same way that I do in, you know, when something's going on in the U.S. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it's like, it's like we're, we're now in a time where we can't, it's, it's like we're, we're compelled to pay attention to politics. We kind of, we have to, like it's, it's, we can't, we can't avoid it. And it, um, yeah, it's made me think too. I mean, like some of the interviews I'm doing here with people who are from, from Syria, Afghanistan, I mean, they're very up on politics because it affects them so personally. And I feel like in the same way now in the U.S. as well, like people know about every every cabinet member <laughs> in in the White House because because every every decision feels like is is watched much much more closely than, than it was before, right? And you're so. Uh, do you feel like? Your identity is equally American and German, or what? What is that? What is um, that combination like? That's such a good question. I I feel like I actually don't have a good like. I I, I think that's like an evolving thing. Actually, like it's not. It's not a. I can't say I'm fifty fifty or sixty forty or something. It's like an evolving thing. I think. Um, it was it was surprising to me how um, even with the election now how American I felt like how 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 responsible I felt in a way and how um, how drawn into into what's going on in the U.S. I felt even from here, which was to me like a sign like wow I'm I'm very American and I guess I, I identify as very American. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think I, I'm definitely part of both, both countries. Um, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, imagine you must feel really like some kind of tug of war or something, because when you were here, I could just see how much you felt like you were, you were kind of missing out on something in Germany. Like you need, there was this urgency. I need to be there. I need to be present and cover what's happening. And, but, I, and I guess now you're there, but you f kind of feel that towards the U.S. Is, is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's like, I, I think some days I feel like a tug of war and then other days I feel just like um, 
the, the like they're so connected both countries and and talk to I mean ask any German and they'll they know about DeVos or like they know about you know Trump's cabinet members in a lot of detail because right now like what's happening in the U.S. is affecting the entire world countries aren't that far apart even though they're divided by an Atlantic Ocean like they're not that far apart so a lot of days I also just feel like when I'm an, when I understand an issue deeper here, I'm I'm also understanding something about the U.S. and just looking at it from a different angle. That brings me to my first should we question of the day. Yes, ask please. Which is <laughs> should we move to Germany or should we move away from the U.S. And I ask this because there's so much conversation about like. Like the everybody wants to get Canadian citizenship instead of American. It's like there's there's such a thread of conversation about like trading in your passport for uh, a different place that is more humane and uh, protects human dignity more and is more accepting of of refugees, more open about immigration. There isn't shame about having need. And I've certainly felt that. But so I wonder, from your perspective, should we move away? I think definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I think, I think definitely not. I mean, there's so... Like there's also so much happening now in 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 politics and and in terms of people taking a really proactive stance to to pay attention and to be involved in organizations and to to really be watchdogs. I I don't I don't know. I I feel like that's a really important role. But I don't know. I, I, have you thought about it seriously? Have you thought about Yeah? Yeah. Like just moving and getting out? Yes. I think it's not to say for reasons of escape. I've just thought, I've thought, should I move to Canada or should I move to Germany or should I trade in my passport for, and this is the first time I've ever had such a, such an extreme thought about my national identity, my citizenship. But I think it's that We've definitely, in the U.S., I feel like we've gone past the point of what I felt like was reasonable, you know, or like past the point of like, oh, like, yes, let's, uh, this is something we should, we should debate and, and like, it's okay that we're, we're, we're still like figuring out how we're going to create this kind of change or, or something like I really feel a, a sense of crisis and like I don't want my my identity to be associated with the actions of my government. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go somewhere and say I'm an American and have that connected with all the things that my my government is doing and I think there's also an aspect of like I don't want my productivity and the the taxes I pay and the what I what I contribute to society to go directly into the hands of the new administration, 
you know mm. i want to contribute those those things to somewhere else that i can trust better to do good with it i see all of this just as like a true confession of things that have crossed my mind and i'm not i'm not seriously considering moving away or trading in my passport it's just like the kind of extreme response that comes up when when i read about what's happening with our government so mm. i'm kind of curious and diana I, i know you've been listening along i'm kind of curious about your thoughts too yeah i haven't thought about moving away but mainly because i just got back so yeah <laughs> i just moved back from germany a little over a year ago the thing that living abroad taught me is that there are always ties back to america like you know every year i had to file us taxes even though i wasn't living there and that's true for the rest of your life unless you renounce citizenship and moving away is one thing renouncing citizenship is another that's sort of like a no going back it's not a temporal thing and i mean i'm I'm sure you probably could go back with a lot of paperwork, but it feels like a one-way ticket. And wow, I want to be out of this now. I want to be out of it by either getting us out of it or by leaving it. I would want the chance to come back. And that's where it's like, well, the tax system is set up in a way and citizenship is set up in a way where you're always American until you say you're not anymore. And so wearing a different hat for a while feels <sighs> incomplete. Have you both like um what have been your like since since Trump was elected, what have been your personal like how have you seen the city shift? Like yeah. How like what if what are the things you notice kind of in your in your day to day? I had a beautiful conversation with someone about civic action where they've been involved in protests all their life, but they had been at the women's march in San Francisco uh, the weekend of the inauguration. And wait, when was, was it? Was it the weekend of the inauguration? Yeah. Okay, the weekend of the inauguration. And they said that the fact of it being a women's march overnight changed the tone of all outdoor pro protests to come because there were men and women and people of all gender identities in those marches. But anchoring it in being a women's march brought families out, brought, you know, people who've never been to a protest in their life out, brought a whole new set of people out and created this default setting very deliberately and thoughtfully constructed but still hard to control when you're trying to manage an outdoor you know many city event the tone of it was so different from all protests past that they this person i was talking to believes it's opened up a new uh, a new era of in person civic action and that you know the one of the highest purposes of outdoor civic action is the photos and the video that percolate all over the world and tell people 
in every country that not all of the U.S. is happy about this. A lot of people aren't. Mm -hmm. And I was at that march in San Francisco, and it was my first march, and I was so surprised by what it felt like. I mean, I kind of went with a lot of dread, like, I hate crowds, I'm really an introvert, I didn't ever imagine myself willingly putting myself in, in the center of a hundred thousand people. But, but I think I was angry. That's why I went. I was like, I'm so angry about what's happening in my government right now. I don't know what else to do. I'm doing whatever I can think of on the internet or in my everyday life. But I'm still, I still have like so much rage that it was almost like my feet just walked me down there. You know, like this is, you gotta just show up with everyone else who's gathering and who feels this too. And then I got there and it, there was no rage really. I mean, I kind of calmed down right away because the tone of the gathering, which was so huge, was so loving and nurturing and playful. I mean, I got there and it was raining and I, I was so unprepared and I was surrounded by like women putting their umbrellas over my head and feeding me snacks. Someone brought homemade dried persimmons and they were giving them to me. And they were laughing. So many of the signs were so funny and clever. We were all laughing and it was so loving. It was really like being hugged by a whole city. It just, it changed the way I felt that day. I felt so hopeful and inspired. And I was like, let's do this again. It's so beautiful. Like it just surfaced so much love that I have never seen on Market Street. So, yeah, I, it definitely made me feel a lot more hopeful. And it also made me recognize the counterpoint to that flight instinct I have. Like, this is so bad. This is so bad. Must get out of here. I realized that it does matter to show up with your body, to stand up and be counted as a part of the resistance it's really interesting to hear you describe how like um how you felt anger and then there's also this like hope and how maybe maybe you need actually both because I think anger can be a fuel too but it, it can't be the only one like because it you can't sustain it but it's also really necessary I think for civic action right like you have to feel some amount of anger But yeah, it's really interesting to hear you describe how that shifted for you in one day and how like it, the anger made, made your feet kind of bring you out there. <laughs> and then when you were out there, you had like a whole different experience. Like I was just talking to someone and she was saying how there were on the, on, on the like New York subway windows, there are like swastika signs. And then she was telling the story of how when people started seeing those signs appear, like there was one woman who brought out like Purell hand sanitizer and was like, 
alcohol can get rid of this type of like paint and we can clean it up with with Purell hand sanitizer and then everyone in the subway like started like taking out their hand sanitizer and people were like scrubbing the subway windows um getting rid of the swastika signs which I thought was like such a beautiful amazing story Oh, Purell can get rid of this hatred. <laughs> I know, seriously. Yeah. I have been like thinking a lot about before, I think this was in October, right after I arrived, I um, I was sitting with a group of Syrians and they had um, invited me for, for lunch that day and we were talking about the elections. And I remember one of them, he was saying how... He really wanted Trump to win. And like the whole room went quiet and we were just like, what? Like how he, he what? Like how, how, how does this happen? How does a Syrian say that like he wants Trump to win? And he was saying how he feels like Trump is the candidate who speaks what's on so many people's minds and they won't articulate and how he feels like Trump is honest and that's why he wants him to win because then at least he knows what what he's getting and at the time I was like I really thought about that statement a lot and I just wonder how many people like weren't protected from the type of hatred that is now so visible and who were experiencing it all the time right and this idea that Trump is honest which is so hard to even wrap my <laughs> mouth around. You know, I read this wonderful article I'd love to retrieve that was saying that euphemistic progressivism feels like gaslighting if you're subject to hate anyway. So the idea that there would be this dominant culture that's like, all about progress and inclusion and it's like we include you know it's like the tech industry like we care deeply about inclusion and then you're like but you did this thing and they're like no we care deeply we care deeply and it's like but my reality my experience was that somebody didn't and they're like no we we care and it's just like it can make you feel like what is going on and I experienced that in the lightest possible way as a woman in tech and imagining living in a community where I experience, you know, maybe I have a different identity and I experience more regular hatred and there's a president who is Barack Obama, Diana Kimball's favorite president of all time. But that doesn't matter because there's somebody in this other town who's like experiencing hate. And Barack Obama is like, you know, it's going to get better or whatever. And it's like, ah, uh, but it hasn't yet, you know. And I think that it can just be, I, I think if you're already, if things are already bad, it can be a relief to have someone be like, it's bad and it's not going to get better. For you, it's not going to get better. I don't know, though. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Well, I don't think I can... I can stomach the, the description of Trump as honest, but perhaps direct or un, uninhibited, tra transparent in some way, uh, or un, very unfiltered. And I think that 
right now I I encounter a lot of frustration with careful managed communication among uh, friends and family who are who are very conservative. Such a such a longing for that that unfilteredness and transparency and. It's hard for me to understand, I think. I mean, of course I value transparency, but I see so much value in putting a lot of care into your communication, in crafting the stories we tell, not with an ulterior motive, not with an idea to hide something, but because no matter what we say ever, anywhere, we're choosing to say one thing in one way over another. We're always making a choice. We're always leaving something out, even if we seem unfiltered. And we are always choosing between sharing our opinions and feelings versus, you know, things that are researched and we're sharing data or research or things that might feel more easy to call facts. We're choosing which sources we find them from. So I value so much the hard work that goes into careful reporting or careful press communications and even carefully choosing our words in everyday conversation. And I think it takes a lot of work to choose to communicate out of love and out of a place of empathy and compassion versus choosing to be, you know, really transparent and careless about sharing your rage or hatred. We have many people to thank. Should we begin with our patrons? Yes. Thank you to our patrons. You too can join the Love Hate Club at shouldwe.co slash pay. This is a new thing we're trying for season three. We're all about being in it for the long run and per episode patronage through a site called Patreon was the solution we came up with and we're really happy and excited with this so far. Helps us be sustainable. And we would also like to thank Yosh at Faultline Studios for recording and editing this episode. Thank you to the band Canada for our theme song, Hey Garland. Thank you to Math Times Joy for our identity. And thank you to all of our listeners who keep changing our beliefs about what should we is for. Thank you very much. Should you tune in next time? We'll leave it to you.